take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you dry it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down smooth. Spanning the continent to bring you the truth about cannabis and marijuana law reform. I smoke pot and I like it a lot. CannabisRadio.com presents The Russ Belleville Show The voice of the marijuana nation Hey, this is great, man Now, here's your host Radical Russ Belleville Good day, tokers and tokens And non-token lovers of liberty It is Wednesday, February 10th, 2016 And it's got to be 420 Somewhere in the world All right, welcome to the show. We're so glad you can all be here at our exclusive home of CannabisRadio.com. A lot of exciting things happening at CannabisRadio.com. You've got the uh, Hemp Present with Vivian McPeak, one of the top activists in the Pacific Northwest. You've got the Grow Show with Cal Cushman, one of the top growers from Northern California. you got Dr. Dina. you got my show. Uh, Tommy Chong Show will be coming online soon and plenty more. Lots of surprises. It's all going to grow really fast over this next year. So make sure you're plugged into CannabisRadio.com and following at Radio on Twitter. All right, for today's show, lots of interesting things to get to. We got a guest joining us from Denver, Colorado. Jordan Person is his name. He's the executive director of the Denver chapter of the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws. And we'll be discussing their push for an initiative citywide in Denver to allow for adult personal consumption indoors, or at least pot lounges. I don't know if they'll be indoors. I guess they would be maybe, but uh, we'll talk to Jordan about that, get all the details. It's something that uh, Mason Tavert and Brian Vicente had fought for and gotten enough signatures to put on the ballot, and then they pulled it at the last minute, citing that the uh, government and the city officials and the businesses were willing to work with them. But uh, apparently nothing has happened since then, so Denver Normal is going to jump at this opportunity. We'll talk to him at half past about how that's going to work. Also coming up on the show today, we've got time for a radical rant. Uh, Don't give me no mo crap. Mo crap, of course, is what I call the Missouri campaign to what is what is the name of it? I got to find the uh, actual acronym because, first of all, you just got to understand that these are the kind of people that would name their initiative the Missouri Cannabis Restoration and Protection Act without realizing that that spells mo crap. <laughs> but anyway, it's another one of those true legalizer groups that wants to jump straight from prohibition to perfect treat it like tomatoes uh, style legalization. And with an initiative that has no polling, no funding, no minimum age, no possession limit, no cultivation limit makes toking and driving legal. <laughs> right, we're going to jump right from prohibition to that. So, I've gone off on this before, but today I have to go off on one particular person who call who's really got himself uh my full and undivided attention. A guy by the name of Derek Burns, who's apparently behind this mocrap act who has been harassing Jeff Mazansky, the Missourian who just got out of prison after 22 years. Jeff, being far more gentlemanly and wise than myself, uh, is avoiding the conflict. I'm not going to. So in the Radical Rant today, I'm going to talk a little bit about Derek Burns and this MoCrap Act. 
Also on the show today, we got some drug war data mining. We've got the numbers for 2015 overall sales of marijuana in Colorado. And folks, I'm not going to hide it from you. Colorado sold almost a billion dollars worth of marijuana in 2015. We'll dig into those numbers and uh, see what they mean in drug war data mining. And behind the headlines today, our cannabis focus will be on new marijuana bills at the Oregon legislature. They've got a short session they're doing here. 35-day session, and there's a number of good things and bad things that might get pushed through. We'll talk about that. But first, we've got the 420... Ha! Almost did it. We've got the Cannabis Radio News coming up. (laughs) With all the headlines for today, including Australia, California, Michigan, Alaska, and Massachusetts. Stay tuned. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. The next generation of vaporizers has arrived. Vuber vaporizers are blazing the way with unparalleled technology for oil, concentrate, or dry flower pens. Providing unsurpassed customer service and expert craftsmanship, Vuber Vaporizers use cutting-edge technology, providing a power-packed, smoother vapor with a lifetime guarantee. Experience vaporizing the way it was meant to be, the Vuber way. Chronicling the latest cannabis industry news and headlines. Well, with four states with tax and regulate and the District of Columbia. The state of cannabis. Oh my God, it's refreshing. We have people that generally wouldn't speak on behalf of cannabis for fear of retribution, fear of losing your practices, fear of of many of those things, and and find ourselves in a a place that we finally can. Bringing you fact-based news and views and keeping listeners on the pulse of what's happening in the industry today. The State of Cannabis. On demand anytime, only on CannabisRadio.com. Imagine life without taxes. Let New Era Certified Public Accountants, NewEraCPAs.com, handle your cannabis 280E and tax strategy. Get your business prepared with New Era CPAs Cannabis Finance Boot Camp. NewEraCPAs.com, with years of experience in the industry, we are one of the nation's leading accounting firms for growers, dispensaries, and ancillary companies from Washington to California. NewEraCPAs.com. It's time for the Cannabis Radio News. Covering the latest headlines in consumer cannabis, medical marijuana, and industrial hemp. Cannabis Radio News is now available exclusively at CannabisRadio.com. Now your marijuana headlines in 4 minutes and 20 seconds. This is Cannabis Radio News. This is your Cannabis Radio News for Wednesday, February 10th, 2016. Australian lawmakers committed on Wednesday to legalizing the growing of medicinal marijuana within a part of the world renowned for zero tolerance and harsh penalties for illegal drugs. The government introduced a bill to Parliament that would amend the Narcotics Drugs Act of 1967 and create a licensing scheme for growing medicinal cannabis. Marijuana is currently illegal throughout Australia, but two states are considering making the drug available for therapeutic purposes. Quote, 
This government understands that there are some Australians suffering from severe conditions for which cannabis may have applications, and we want to enable access to the most effective medical treatments available, end quote, Health Minister Susan Lay told Parliament. The bill is guaranteed to become law, with the main opposition party immediately pledging support. With the potential for hundreds of millions of dollars in new revenue on the table, California lawmakers are pursuing a 15% medical marijuana sales tax this year. Senator Mike McGuire, a Democrat from Healdsburg, on Wednesday introduced a tax bill that follows long-awaited regulations passed by lawmakers in the final days of the legislative session last September, nearly two decades after voters first legalized medical marijuana. Annual sales of medical marijuana are estimated at more than $1 billion in California, according to McGuire, meaning that his tax could bring in more than $100 million for the state. The 15% tax mirrors what proponents of a leading initiative to legalize recreational pot have included in their November measure. McGuire's bill would need a two-thirds vote in the legislature, which will require at least some Republicans who are usually unwilling to support tax increases. However, many of them joined with Democrats to pass the medical marijuana regulations last year. A pro-marijuana organization says it's on pace to get the necessary signatures for legalization questions to be included on the November ballot in Michigan. The Michigan Comprehensive Cannabis Law Reform Committee, known as MI Legalize, announced in a press release that its campaign to legalize marijuana the right way in Michigan has now collected 240,000 signatures. The group is looking to collect 50,000 more signatures to finish the petition drive, it said in the release. The state requires 252,000 valid signatures to qualify for the November 2016 general election ballot. Meanwhile, a second group devoted to the same cause, the Michigan Cannabis Coalition, has gone quiet. The MCC hasn't raised any money in the last quarter from October 21st to December 31st, 2015, according to campaign, campaign finance records filed with the state. Michigan Legalize's press release says this signals a dead campaign, leaving Michigan Legalize as the state's only realistic cannabis law reform option, end quote. Law enforcement officials in Massachusetts are unprepared for the legalization of recreational marijuana if voters sign off on the idea in November, Walpole Police Chief John Carmichael said Wednesday. The campaign to regulate marijuana like alcohol is seeking to place a question on the November statewide ballot legalizing marijuana for recreational use. Massachusetts voters approved decriminalizing small amounts of marijuana in 2008 and medical marijuana in 2012. Carmichael spoke at a Massachusetts State House briefing for legislators and staffers. Governor Charlie Baker, Attorney General Maura Healey, and Boston Mayor Marty Walsh have all voiced their opposition to legalizing marijuana. As law enforcement officials were briefing state lawmakers, the campaign to regulate marijuana like alcohol issued a statement cautioning legislators, quote, getting perspective on marijuana prohibition from these career prohibitionists is like getting perspective on veganism from cattle ranchers. And quote, Jim Borgasani, communications director for the campaign, said in a statement. Anchorage, Alaska assembly members outlined a map of the proposed marijuana industry Tuesday evening, voting to keep marijuana businesses at least 500 feet away from schools and playgrounds. The assembly previously proposed that pot retail stores would need to operate at least 1,000 feet from schools and playgrounds. By a 6-5 to five vote, assembly members lessened the buffer zone to 500 feet. Those who voted yes say it's a move that will keep everyone safer. When retail stores do open in Anchorage, customers won't be allowed to smoke their purchased marijuana on the premises. The assembly considered an amendment but tabled it, and they will form a committee to take up the issue at a later time. This has been your Cannabis Radio News for Wednesday, February 10th, 2016. I'm Russ Belville.
Gondrepreneur.com, your guide to the cannabis business world. Gondrepreneur.com is a comprehensive resource for cannabis professionals and entrepreneurs. Download the Gondrepreneur app on your smartphone or tablet to catch up on cannabis industry news, scroll through our daily job listings, and learn about successful cannabis companies, executives, and investors. Gondrepreneur.com, helping Gondrepreneurs grow. You can find Radical Russ online everywhere. Gmail, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, YouTube, SoundCloud, Snapchat, LinkedIn, and Boise State University's 2400 baud modem bulletin board system from 1985. Tokers, there's no good reason to get your dog stoned. While it might not harm them physically, imagine being a dog who already begs for treats all day and then imagine that dog having the munchies. Not cool. Hey everybody, it's Radical Russ here from 420 Radio inviting you to be like me and get your ink done at Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo, Fort Worth's most female-friendly, clean, sterile, awesome tattoo shop. Thomas and his crew are true artists who can design you a custom piece or use a design you bring in. Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo also offers all styles of tattooing as well as piercings and all-around fun. In the DFW area, stop by Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo and tell them Radical Russ sent you. Trust me, it'll feel awesome. The world of cannabis is evolving at a frenetic pace. The Russ Belleville Show gets behind the headlines to take a deeper look at breaking news in our Cannabis Focus. Today in the Cannabis Focus, we take a look at what's happening in the Oregon legislators, le- legislature's short session uh, happening right now. And there's a new bill that uh, passed out of committee that would uh, allow out-of-state investment in Oregon's burgeoning marijuana legalization. And this is House Bill 4014-4014 removes the two-year residency requirement for license applicants that was included in the bill that was passed last year. So the legislature has had a a change of heart here and recognized that, wait a minute, by banning the uh, out-of-state people, we set ourselves up so that the locals can't get the kind of capital or funding that they need to be able to properly compete in this marketplace, especially when they're facing competition here in Portland, right across the river in Vancouver. So it's one of just several marijuana related bills that are going through this 35 day session. And once again, Ginny Burdick, the Democrat from Portland, is co-chair of the committee that's dealing with most of these decisions. Some of the provisions that are included in this new bill are reducing the medical marijuana card registration fee for veterans for from $200 to $20. First of all, if you didn't know, Oregon ties with New Jersey for having the highest medical marijuana card fee, $200. You can get a reduction if you're on disability and other conditions, uh, and it can be... Uh, Reduced for to like $50 in some case, $20 in some other cases. I think that's the deal still. Uh, they've had so many changes. Uh, currently, if veterans are in a 100% disability, they get the $20 card. This would make it just for all veterans, $20 card. That's, come on, man. <laughs> These are our veterans we're talking about. That's the least we can do. There's a provision in the bill to treat people who are on probation or parole or uh, post-prison or pre-trial release uh, to treat medical marijuana the same as prescription drugs. Now, a lot of these people that are on medical marijuana, if they get you know into some sort of trouble, they get into a uh, probation situation, 
they're forced to go off their medical marijuana to pass the probation drug test, they're, but they can still take their Xanax, their oxycodone, all that kind of stuff if they've got a prescription. So that seems only fair. Uh, there's a provision here to allow marijuana establishments to deduct business expenses allowable under the federal tax code when filing state tax returns under current policy or only recreational marijuana businesses with OLCC licenses can claim those exemptions. So it's basically allowing everybody, whether you're a, a licensed rec pot shop or you're a, a dispensary, a licensed dispensary, you should be able to deduct these expenses. Allowing the medical marijuana patients to use their application receipts to shop at dispensaries. Here's the problem, folks. Sometimes you get your medical marijuana card application in here to the state of Oregon, and it takes four months before you actually get your card back because they're backlogged and they don't have enough people, whatever. Whatever the excuse is, it takes four months sometimes. It used to be and, and was for over a decade the case where you took your receipt to the window, and they used to have a window back in the day. Now they don't anymore. Everything's online. But you took your receipt to the window, and once you got your stamp, you know, received, you could take that paperwork in, and that would count as your ID for medical marijuana purchases. They changed that. They took that away and made it so you had to have the card. Well, all that made it was a four-month delay before people could actually get their medicine. So they want to restore that, make it so you can just take your receipt. That's a good thing. That's got to happen. Now, there's another bill, uh, House Senate Legislative Committee Bill, Senate Bill 1511. They're having a public hearing on this 3 o'clock on Friday here in uh, Salem, Oregon. It would allow recreational marijuana stores to sell tax-free medical marijuana to patients. It would also allow people 21 and older to buy marijuana-infused edibles and concentrates during the state's so-called early sales program. Here's the deal. We've got all these medical dispensaries here in Oregon, and they're temporarily allowed to sell to people like me, recreational consumers. But they can only sell us a quarter ounce of flour. That's it. They can only sell us a quarter ounce of flour. That's it. We can't buy edibles. We can't buy extracts. We can't buy tinctures, any of that kind of stuff. Oh, we can buy four seedlings total ever. Not like how are they keeping track of that? They aren't. But the, under the law, they could only sell us four seedlings to grow, right? You can buy a quarter ounce each time you come in, but only four seedlings, seedlings right? Well, this, of course, means that your prices are higher at the quarter ounce level. And it means that a lot of people in Portland will just drive across the river to Vancouver where they can buy up to an ounce, where they can buy extracts, where they can buy edibles. So this would make sense for the the industry to, you know, bring that competition back here. And so that bill there is just basically allowing the, the dispensaries to sell edibles and concentrates to the recreational consumers. And then when the recreational stores begin, the recreational stores would be able to sell tax-free medical marijuana to the patients. Look, this is what I've called for all along. Why are we making this so difficult? Have a system, not the OLCC, the Liquor Commission, not the Oregon Health Authority, the health people, but just have a separate organization that controls marijuana regulation, testing, and inspection. That goes from the grow to the process to the test to the package to the retail store. One set of regulations, one government agency, one store. 
Then the OHA, the health authority, maintains the medical marijuana program that issues these cards to people. And if you have that card, you get your tax-free purchase at the store, you get to buy more at the store, you get to possess more at home, and you get to grow more at home. Why can't it just be that easy? Everybody does that. Yeah, but Daddy says I'm the best at it. Oh, God. You know, she ended up on uh, 30 Rock, that girl. Yep. Jane Krakowski. Look it up on IMDb. Of course, I know the answer to my rhetorical question is because we're dealing with government. <laughs> we're dealing with politics. But really, shouldn't there just be like the Lord of the Rings, one system to rule them all? And then give the lower, the tax break, and the greater possession to patients. The next generation of vaporizers has arrived. Vuber vaporizers are blazing the way with unparalleled technology for oil, concentrate, or dry flower pens. Providing unsurpassed customer service and expert craftsmanship, Vuber vaporizers use cutting-edge technology, providing a power-packed, smoother vapor with a lifetime guarantee. Experience vaporizing the way it was meant to be. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. The Supreme Court is wrong on the Second Amendment. Okay, maybe you're high too. Chronicling the latest cannabis industry news and headlines. Well, with four states with tax and regulate and the District of Columbia. The state of cannabis. Oh my God, it's refreshing. We have people that generally wouldn't speak on behalf of cannabis for fear of retribution, fear of losing your practices, fear of of many of those things, and and find ourselves in in a a place that we finally can. Bringing you fact-based news and views and keeping listeners on the pulse of what's happening in the industry today. The state of cannabis. On demand anytime, only on CannabisRadio.com. The Fingerboard Extension has fretted instruments to enhance your creativity. It has new and used guitars and banjos from beginning to high class. The Fingerboard Extension has National Resophonic, Hassan Dalton, Larrabee, Heritage and Recording King guitars, and Mike Ramsey, Wildwood, Gold Tone, and Recording King banjos. The Fingerboard Extension also has drum stuff, used gear, and parts. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension, downtown Corvallis, Oregon, at 120 Northwest 2nd, or check out the inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com and reverb.com. Promoting the end of adult cannabis prohibition is easy because we have facts, science, reason, compassion, evidence, truth, and logic on our side. It's even easier when researchers catalog it all for us. Learn how to get the facts on marijuana use, arrests, seizures, rehabs, drug tests, and more on this edition of Drug War Data Mining. All right, welcome back to the Drug War Data Mines. And today we are talking about the sales figures that we're getting out of Colorado that show for 2015, there were 996184788 dollars worth of marijuana that were sold in California. Unbelievable numbers coming out of the Centennial State. And it's uh, it's interesting to me because uh, that you know let, we could round that up. 
we can we can say that's a billion dollars, can't we? We we can call that a billion. I think that's fair. So um, let's take a look at these numbers a little deeper. Um, according to the numbers, Colorado collected more than one hundred thirty-five million dollars in marijuana taxes and fees in twenty fifteen, and more than thirty-five million of that is earmarked for school. Pr- construction projects. So 35 million for schools, another 100 million on taxes on top of that. Colorado marijuana data showed a major uptick in month over month sales. Recreational pot sales jumped more than 21% from November to December, landing at $62.2 million for the month of December, a monthly record in the state's legal era. Medical sales jumped more than 32%, totaling $39.1 billion. Now, l- leading up to this, for the last couple of months, you know, they release these m- numbers monthly, and it's been, you know, we've been considering, are they going to break a billion, right? And everybody's saying, no, they'd have to have massive record numbers to pull that off. Well, folks, looks like they got the massive record numbers. For every dollar... So... An interesting question that we have to ask ourselves is uh, what our buddy Kevin Sabet might have to say about that. Because leading up to legalization, Kevin Sabet was all over Fox News and Huffington Post and CNN and different locations making this claim. For every dollar we get on alcohol and tobacco tax in this country, we spend $10 in lost social costs. So people that look at this know this is actually a loss leader. It's a loss leader for every dollar that we get in taxes. It costs us $10 in social costs. And this, it wasn't just uh, Kevin Sabet that was saying this, but he was saying it over and over again on Huffington Post. For every dollar in taxes, we spend 10 in social costs. So every dollar is going to cost us $10 in social costs. And he says that it's just a con game. It's not really going to pay off for anybody. Lottery, we've heard about it for gambling. We've heard about it for tobacco. We've heard about it for alcohol. It's all a sham, right? We're all just fooling people with this tax revenue stuff. And his buddy, Patrick J. Kennedy, the co-founder of Project Sam, explained to us just what we could see. For every $1 in costs, there'd be, every $1 in taxes, there'd be $10 in social costs. And he outlines exactly what those social costs are. People say who are proposing this that it's going to create a new revenue stream. But we know what the revenue stream in alcohol has done. For every dollar we bring in for alcohol revenue, we spend 10 in our emergency rooms, in drunk driving accidents, in domestic violence. Yeah, so for some reason, uh, we've got a situation where the, uh, the revenues have come in, and we've now marked $135 million dollars. In marijuana tax revenues, $135 million in marijuana tax revenues. And remember, for every dollar in taxes, we spend 10 in social costs. Okay, so let's do the math. $135 million in taxes means that Kevin Sabet and Patrick Kennedy need to explain where the $1.35 billion in social costs have gone. $1.35 billion in social costs that we're talking about. Where are they in Colorado? Patrick Kennedy talked about drunk driving with respect to alcohol. Where are the marijuana driving accidents, the costs added up from those? And keep in mind, when we're talking about this 
$1 in alcohol and tobacco taxes costs $10 in social costs. The reason why is because alcohol and tobacco are toxic and addictive. They actually do kill people. They actually do cause violence and sickness and death. So there's that cost. And keep in mind that the enforcement cost on tobacco is virtually nil. There's not a whole lot of uh, tobacco vice squads. There is there is some tobacco black market and there is some policing of that. Absolutely. Ask Eric Garner. But generally speaking, oh, yeah, you can't ask Eric Garner. He got choked out and he's dead now for selling loose cigarettes. But anyway, there's generally little cost for the enforcement of tobacco. There's cost for the enforcement of alcohol, drunk driving patrols and all of that. But if we're talking about the the revenue for marijuana, you can't just count the $1.35 billion in social costs. You'd have to also subtract what we're not spending in the... Uh, in, in the enforcement of marijuana prohibition in the state of Colorado, since all of their arrests have dropped by 80%. That's right. Four out of five people who would have been busted on some sort of pot charge aren't getting busted anymore in Colorado. So, Kevin Sabat, I challenge you to point out the $1.35 billion in social costs. It's just not there. It's funny how you don't hear that talking point from them anymore, but I've got lots of them in my archive. Because, uh, number one, I look shit up, and number two, I never forget. So, <laughs> despite what they tell you about potheads. All right, stay tuned, folks. Uh, we've got, and I, I did not tease this at the beginning of the show because it slipped my mind, but today is Hemp Day Hump Day. And we got Doug Fine on the line, so we're going to talk to Doug about what's happening in the world of industrial hemp, and then we'll talk to Jordan Person at the 45 break. So stay tuned. We'll be right back after this. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. for this little guy, it's just too late. What caused the problem? Only Dr. Dabber can maintain the perfect temperature for a smooth-tasting, slower burn. This standard vaporizer lost all of its health benefits, sending it up in smoke. So you're telling me that most vapor pens burn so hot they produce smoke, not vapor? Correct! Keep away from those standard vaporizer pens and turn to Dr. Dabber, doctor's order. Less heat, (laughs) more flavor. The Russ Belleville Show where the truth about marijuana gets more than a minute to speak. It's time for Cannabis Facts about teen drug use from Robert Platchorn's TheSilverTour.org. This message is supported by our donors and Hemp Inc., a public company poised to lead America's hemp revolution at HempInc.com. A recent survey by the U.S. Centers for Disease Control indicates that in states that have legalized medical marijuana, the rate of marijuana consumption among high school students has not increased. In fact, in legal states like Colorado, teen use has actually decreased significantly. It's simply no longer a big deal for teenagers in legal states. This was Cannabis Facts from thesilvertour.org, an educational nonprofit supported by our donors and Hemp Inc., a public company poised to lead America's hemp revolution at hempinc.com. 
Imagine life without taxes. Let New Era Certified Public Accountants, NewEraCPAs.com, handle your Canon Business 280E and tax strategy. Get your business prepared with New Era CPA's Cannabis Finance Boot Camp. NewEraCPAs.com, with years of experience in the industry, we are one of the nation's leading accounting firms for growers, dispensaries, and ancillary companies from Washington to California. NewEraCPAs.com. legalization also ushers in the return of the American hemp industry. Get the latest news from the author of Hemp Bound and Too High to Fail, Doug Fine, in our Hemp Day Hump Day update. All right, welcome back, everybody. Uh, Shuffling things here live as we get ready for our Hemp Day Hump Day update. Uh, We've got Doug Fine waiting on the line. How you doing, Doug? Good to hear from you. Oh, man, I can't complain. I'm just catching my breath. It's been uh, an intensely busy week around the nation in the world of hemp. Oh, yeah, that's why we love having you here every other Wednesday for our Hemp Day Hump Day update. Let's let's spare the uh, small talk. There's so much to talk about. Why don't you just jump right in? Okay, so um, on the federal level, last week, um, hemp-supporting politicians in D.C. and the Hill Senators and congressmen called this uh, Hemp on the Hill Summit. They, they invited uh, a bunch of hempsters, including myself, um, to the Hill in the lobby of the Rayburn office building, held this big sort of extravaganza with uh, tables and, and, uh, and meetings and information and interviews. And I'll tell you, it was... Uh, to me, the funnest part, and uh, I had my uh, cameraman there rolling with me as I'm documenting Hemp's return, it was uh, the, the almost, well, there's so many wonderfully surreal things to show how much we're all, we, the American people, and we understand the value of the coming cannabis hemp economy, uh, to show how much we're winning. Ten years ago, trying to bring in hemp samples through congressional security might have spurred some sort of problem. Now, we are escort. We're putting our stuff through security. I bought a hemp creek block, some raw fiber from from a few states harvest, a hemp flag, even a piece of hemp printed plastic, right through security, and then just walked it over to the to the tables that I was working with there, and and started interviewing people. Unless I got to tell you, um, the most fun and potentially surreal interview of my twenty plus year career occurred that day. Um, thanks to the wife of James Wolsey, former CIA director, who's a, who's a hempster himself. And I think his wife, uh, I'm not sure, but I've been told that she uh, uses CBD for, for something, on the pain or something, I'm not sure. Um, she suggested I interview him, the former CIA director, alongside Montel Williams, uh, the talk show host that's uh, known as a real cannabis hemp activist, especially since he needs it. Uh, for treatment of the multiple sclerosis symptoms. Those two guys uh, on uh, on the other end of the interview uh, with me, I just was standing there going, is, is this really happening? Um, and as fun as that all is, the real practical good that was done uh, by a lot of people who came a long way on their own dime for hard work, uh, doing a lot of hard work, the was strategizing for how to get S-134, the final commercial hemp cultivation bill uh, passed on the federal level during this lame duck session of Congress so we don't have to have hemp farmers, you know, struggling with the sort of in-between semi-legal phase. How are we going to get our seat in? Uh, S-134 ends that nonsense. I sat in on a meeting with Kentucky's Republican Congressman 
uh, Thomas Massey. It was uh, fantastic. I interviewed him afterwards, and when I showed him the plastic, petroleum-free plastic uh, that I brought with me, I thought, he, you know, he's from Kentucky. I thought he'd know about, you know, hemp fiber during World War II. The guy's an MIT engineer. We started talking about nanotechnology and hemp's benefits for next-generation batteries. He was asking whether or not the THC limit needs to be raised. The guy gets it, as do uh, so many people. We're, we are uh, on the side of the future, and, and even the halls of power get it. Wow, that, that is amazing that you're getting such intelligent questions there uh, on hemp production. And, of course, those uh, hemp superconductors, the, the graphene replacement is one of the leading edge technology things. Uh, so that's the, what's happening at Federal. Do you have any state updates? What's going on in some of the states right now? Yep. Um, I'll give, uh, I guess, uh, three quick ones. There's so many, um, but I'll give you three quick ones for now. Um, first off, um, I'll start close to home, uh, my home state of New Mexico. We had, like everywhere, a bipartisan hemp bill passed, and more than half the states have this now. There's no real partisan division. It was, it was by a wide margin. Um, our governor vetoed that bill last session, um, and so this year the move was on was to make a few tweaks based on her veto uh, note and, you know, ask her if she could just, you know, support it this time, which <laughs> farmers need it. And, um, really, Excellent cohesive group in New Mexico working hard on this from all corners of the state, all, all you know, from, from high end, you know, experienced lobbyists to, to farmers groups. And um, that didn't gain traction. So now the move is on for uh, a, a veto override. And uh, all that requires is the same people that supported it last session to support this session, but it's a whole different sort of political uh, ball game when you're asking people to override a veto of a governor of their own party yeah. and we're making the argument that it's that important and they are hearing it they're hearing it from farmers they're hearing it from veterans national hemp groups now are chiming in but i just have to stress again um one of the reasons i live on a goat ranch in the middle of nowhere is because i don't enjoy politics i don't enjoy <laughs> what happens when egos and power and stuff intersect and so I'm calling out in a good way my own state and its people, the way that they have come together in this cohesive way, and the national groups. When they first said, you guys need any help, we said, we're doing this delicate thing of trying to get the governor to come around. We don't need her bombarded with some outsiders that they she may interpret as liberal something. But now we do need it. Now we need every legislator in New Mexico, especially Republicans, to hear how important this uh, this bill is. And uh, Vote Hemp is chiming in and doing a great job. It's all systems go. Um, I've been on the phone constantly for days on this, and I'm cautiously optimistic because that is New Mexico. Moving on, uh, Hawaii's now just uh, yesterday introduced what I think is best tempo in the nation, which by which I mean it's short, simple, and basically stays out of it, which allows in the rules section the uh, the uh, the establishment of Kentucky style. Um, program that allows individual farmers to cultivate under marketing and other research, not just small, you know, experimental pilot programs by university researchers, which is what Hawaii had been doing to date. So Hawaii gets it. They passed a, a restrictive, you know, better than no hemp bill, uh, and important research was done a year or two ago, and now they're saying, no, we need this. This needs to be bigger and wider because this is too important to security, food security, and energy security in Hawaii, and they are on the ball. And uh, Oregon, after um, uh, a successful first season, but a season where I think even the well-meaning Department of Ag folks would say they were really learning. They were learning to catch up all the applications that could be grown for hemp and the, and the demand, great demand for Oregon farmers to grow up now have just this week 
announced that they're reopening uh, the program to new applicants, so we'll see significant numbers uh, growing in the Oregon program. So good news all around the country. Wow, and it's just happening everywhere right now, uh, legislatively, uh, even it seems uh, faster in some ways than medical marijuana uh, took off. Uh, what, what are we looking at now as far as harvest, the actual results of these laws changing, and, and how, many, how many acres or so will we have growing in America? I just the other day at that D.C. Uh, summit interviewed um, James Comer, who was uh, now running for Congress and was the uh, instrumental uh, Kentucky Agriculture Commissioner who got the whole hemp program going, conservative from Christian County, conservative Republican from a dry county, who just, he says, that when you ask him why he loves hemp, he's like, I'm a farmer. It's a great crop, man. Hmm. And... Um, and I interviewed him about that growth curve, and he predicts 40,000 acres in Kentucky alone within 10 years. He thinks it's going to be a top-five crop, robbing any, anything else. You can talk of corn, wheat, soy, in Kentucky. There's also tobacco. And like, elsewhere in the south, there's cotton. He thinks hemp is going to be up there in acres, and the number's already uh, already indicated. Um, I'm looking up as we talk now because I'm just writing uh, an op-ed for, for a major newspaper here on... Um, on this, and I'll tell you, uh, the acreage has gone from 35 acres uh, just in Kentucky uh, in 2014 to 1,700 acres last year. Colorado's already at 3,000 acres. I know uh, that was last year. I just got off the phone with a Colorado farmer who himself is growing uh, nearly 3,000 acres next year. Wow. So it's, uh, we're talking about exponential growth in the acreage, and partly that's because uh, the market's already there. Um, you can, you can honestly, I, this is something that I, I, uh, was surprised myself to find in the last few yeah. weeks because there's so much talk about nutraceuticals in the flower that you still are getting, if you're growing large acreage, just for fiber, just chop it down the salt. You're still making better than most crops just on selling the fiber. And so hence time has come. All right. Well, Doug, we've got a question from our chat room wanting to know, are there any states beyond Kentucky, Tennessee, Colorado, and North Dakota that have the DEA permits? Oh, that's a really good question. I'll rack my brain to answer that question for you. And the DEA permits, when you're talking, the only thing that a DEA permit is needed for cultivating hemp is it was needed. Past tense was needed for cultivating hemp was, um, Proceed import. Mm-hmm. But last December, President Obama signed a big spending bill that had a provision in it that prohibited Justice Department funds from being used to interfere with state seed programs. Already, the Justice Department was scaling down interfering with legitimate imports of hemp seed for state sanctioned hemp. But now, the federal law prohibits hmm. money from being spent along those lines. So how many farmers are taking that to what many farmers are taking that to mean is they do not need to go through those hoops and those rigmaroles of getting that S, uh, that sorry that uh, 357 DEA permit that's necessary for importing uh, seed into the into the country now will there be a test case will there be some farmer in one of the 26 current hemp states that is permitted by their state agriculture department to cultivate hemp thus in sync with the federal uh, research provision right now. Will those seeds get seized and will they have to go uh, to court to get them out? I don't know. I hope not. I would say it's possible, but I, I'm cautiously optimistic that farmers are going to be able to, if they need to import seed, we're already rebuilding a whole lot of domestic seed, but I'm cautiously optimistic that for those farmers who have to import, we don't have enough 
domestic seed from the farmers. So those that have to import seed, that they'll get in. And the one thing I will say to listeners who are farmers in uh, state programs or, go, or, or going to be registering for them, um, the really important thing to make sure your seed import has is that uh, phytosanitary uh, certificate. That is a agriculture thing. That's not a Justice Department thing. That's a USDA thing on any kind of uh, agricultural product. And there were some issues last year with seed imports um, getting held up in customs because of not having that permit. And anybody that's a legitimate seed exporter of a legitimate hemp cultivar with permission to export it and all that good stuff, uh, should have no problem getting that certificate that, uh, on it. All right. Well, Doug Fine, the Organic Cowboy. Follow him at Organic Cowboy on Twitter. Author of Hemp Bound and Too High to Fail and a Remarkable Goat Farmer. Thank you so much for <laughs> talking to us. We'll talk to you in a couple weeks, Doug. Look forward to it. Thanks for everything, Russ. Keep up the great Stay tuned. We got Jordan Person from Denver Normal on Pot Lounges up next. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. The Russ Belleville Show, providing dictionaries to drug czars since 2009. The smoke is rising, and the next crop of podcasts devoted to cannabis providers and enthusiasts are ready to be harvested. Welcome to the Cannabis Radio Network, founded by respected rainmakers who have been producing award-winning podcasts for over a decade. Industry headlines, business updates, medical reports, marketing, and e-commerce education rolled up perfectly for your consumption. Let's grow together. The Cannabis Radio Network. CannabisRadio.com. The Russ Belville Show is proudly sponsored by the Marijuana Business Association. The MJBA, called by NBC News the Cannabis Chamber of Commerce, is the fastest growing business association in the fastest growing industry in America. I've been working with the MJBA for years and I personally invite you to join the MJBA. MJBA also publishes the popular MJ Headline News on Facebook and the MJNewsNetwork.com and Marijuana Channel One on YouTube. Visit MJBA.net for more details. Activism begins with ACT. The Russ Belleville Show features the stories of hardworking grassroots activists working for an end to prohibition in today's activist agenda. Welcome back, everybody. It's 47 after the hour, and joining us by telephone, we have Jordan Person. He's the director of the Denver chapter of the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws. Jordan, welcome to the show. 
Thank you very much. How are you today? I'm I'm doing fantastic. Great to hear from you, and I'm very excited to discuss this uh, story because I had covered uh, Mason Tavert and Brian Vincente moving forward on an initiative to uh, regulate marijuana lounges, adult use uh, locations in the city of Denver, and they got enough signatures for it, and they could have put it on the ballot, but they pulled it at the last moment, saying, "Hey, the city wants to work with us. The business leaders want to work with us." That was like five months ago or something like that. And then I heard you guys are going to step forward and jump into this and take it on. So take it from there. Tell folks about this initiative and and why you've decided to move forward with it. Um, Well, yes, we are. We are moving forward with this initiative, and we are very excited about that. Um, We feel that since legalization took place in 2012, we have needed a place to provide responsible use um, for the adults that purchase legal cannabis to then consume their cannabis. Um, and we're, we're doing it now because we feel that it's time and it's overdue. Um, we, we, we're moving forward. <laughs> we have a great grassroots campaign um, approach, and we feel that we will have, uh, also have enough signatures to get it on the ballot as well. Have you heard from uh, Mason or Brian about this? Uh, is there any sort of feelings of you guys kind of jumping in in their territory or taking this on too soon or anything like that? Um, we we have spoken uh, with a representative from their company. Yes, um, we have not. We aren't working together um, per se. Um, we have had conversations about it, and we will be showing them our language when it is complete. Fantastic. Okay, so you're still working on the language then at this point? Well, I'm pleased to say uh, we just received word from National uh, Normal that they are pleased with what we have done and to go ahead and push it through to the city. Um, We have also been in contact with DPA, the Drug Policy Alliance, um, and I am currently waiting on my contact there to get back to me um, from their review of the language and depending on their their response, we will be filing uh, hopefully by Monday. Wow, that's great news. We get to break here on the Russ Belville Show. Approval from National <laughs> on the Denver Initiative and we're moving forward on Monday to get this taken care of. So what are the nuts and bolts of it as far as, uh, like, first of all, how many signatures do you guys need to gather to put this on the ballot? We need 5,000, but we are aiming for 10,000. Good idea. And get the you get the 10,000 signatures, it makes it to what, the November ballot? Is that what we're aiming for? Correct. Okay, so on the November ballot, along with you know the presidential election, it'll be a very popular turnout, which would be a perfect time to get it on the ballot. What exactly would the situation be if this were to get on the ballot and pass? I mean, could an existing bar have a, a pot location, smoking location? Does it have to be inside or is it an outside patio thing? Could you smoke anywhere where tobacco smoked? I mean, give people an idea what would happen if this were to pass. I, I don't want to give too many details away without having um, the, the complete approval of our language, but I will tell you we are looking at no alcohol. We are, okay. we are looking at having the cannabis clubs as their own entities, uh, not commingling with bars. What's the consideration behind that? 
Um, the considerations are insurance companies, the bar industry, and the restaurant industry. Gotcha. They do not want the commingling, and we are trying to come up with an initiative that will be for as many people as possible. So um, is there a political calculus to this? Like, okay, the a number of our base of cannabis consumers that you'd lose by not allowing them to drink in a pot shop or pot lounge is more than outweighed by the opposition you'd get from the bar and restaurant industry if you went forward with this? We have not done that polling, so I cannot oh, okay. Okay, uh, but you know, there's I can I can imagine that this is you know politically speaking a, a smart move because we do have science that shows that the combination of marijuana and alcohol severely impairs driving, and I can't imagine politically trying to fight that battle while trying to get uh, marijuana lounges. Is the driving issue something that came into this as well? Well, we definitely we're at a point right now where we know that creating change, especially a change along these lines, in order for it to be realistic, it's going to require baby steps. Mm -hmm. For the first time since the passing of legalization, both our mayor and our governor are, are on board to have a conversation about this. But one thing that they have mentioned multiple times is they are not interested in the commingling of alcohol. Mm -hmm. Do I feel that five years or plus from now, will there be that commingling? I wouldn't be surprised. Mm. But right now, we need to come out with an initiative that's going to be something that the city wants to see as well as consumers want to see. We want to provide that place for people that are tourists or their parents, and they want to be able to get away from their kid for an hour to be able to go consume responsibly and safely. So, uh, so we want to be able to hit as many plateaus as possible. Excellent, excellent. We're speaking with Jordan Person from Denver Normal about uh, the proposed initiative should be hitting uh, the streets on Monday or, or hitting the state on Monday, I should say. Uh, I guess the Secretary of State or is it the city that you have to file it with, I guess? It's the city. Yeah, yes, yeah. So, so filing initiative. with the city, excuse me. Uh, so they're moving forward with this initiative to create some sort of public use uh, where adults, especially if you're, you know, if you're a tourist, you can't smoke in your hotel. If you're living in public housing, you can't smoke there. If your landlord doesn't like it, can't smoke there. And we're trying, we don't want to encourage public toking. So you got to give people some place to use their rights. I've, I've often likened it to how the 15th amendment gave black people the right to vote, but then the Southerners put up all these poll taxes and literacy taxes. Like what good is a right if you have no way to use that right. So I'm, I really applaud you guys moving forward on this. Uh, is this uh, designed at a permanent type of brick and mortar club that would be just a cannabis club? Or could it also apply to like when Denver Symphony wanted to do their marijuana events or somebody wants to have a, a marijuana section at a special event, so long as there's no alcohol, would that be possible? Again, I don't want to speak too much to our language until we have released it. Um, but I can tell you we're hoping to open it to as many different models as possible. Okay, I understand. Uh, let's talk about then the um, the actual ground game of getting the signatures and getting this on the ballot. I, it's going to take some money uh, usually. Is, is, is this something that you've uh, secured some funding for? Is this a volunteer effort? How is this going to work? This is going to be a grassroots volunteer effort. 
We are going to focus on uh, some small donor committees. Um, we have Grassroots. I'm sure you're familiar with the company, um, Grassroots California. Sure. They have uh, a base here in Denver. They have generously um, donated some time to us to create our logo. And so we will have um, Grassroots hats and shirts. And we will be creating an army of 100 volunteers and we intend to go out to every 420 event and have booths at every 420 event and to use those grassroots volunteers to collect the signatures that we need. Um, and then those same volunteers, once we have the signatures we need to put it on the ballot, those same volunteers will continue spreading the word and spreading our message to make sure that we have those votes that we need to get it passed. That's good news to me. You know, a lot of my listeners will know that I'm usually skeptical of volunteer efforts, but I hope people understand that that's usually when I'm talking at the statewide level, when you need hundreds of thousands of signatures, these volunteer efforts at the city level are exactly what we should be doing because this is where we can get our successes at the grassroots level and building those grassroots successes then leads to greater statewide change. And uh, is that something you hope to parlay maybe into getting a, a Colorado initiative for uh, so, some sort of pot lounges? Absolutely. Uh, we hope that we're going to create an initiative that will be good enough that the rest of the state will be able to follow. And, and then, you know, we'll be able to take it to, to Oregon and to other places that begin to legalize um, after November. And they're looking for that same safe space for uh, responsible adult use. Yeah. Okay. Well, that sounds great. So let's give out some uh, contact information, Jordan. If there's listeners out there in the Denver area who want to get involved or even listeners online who have some way of maybe donating money to you, how could they do that? How can they get in touch with you? Um, you can donate to us at denvernormal.org. You can write to us at info at denvernormal.org. Um, our telephone number is 720 3814. And we would love any volunteers, any donations, any way that you want to help us spread this message to get this initiative passed. We appreciate it. Yeah, I hope we've got some angel donors listening because, you know, people throw money at these big statewide California type campaigns, Oregon campaigns, and really, you're going to get the most bang for your buck by throwing it at these local initiatives. Uh, They did this in Massachusetts and passed all these public policy questions. They were all just you know, meaning, not meaningless, but symbolic questions. They didn't really change the law, but by hammering at it over and over and over again, they built a legacy of wins. They built a track record of success and they got people talking about the issue at the local level. And it's famously said, all politics is local. Let me give you the last word, Jordan, anything else you'd like to tell our listeners? I just thank you for your time today. And I hope uh, we got through to some listeners and you want to help us join in the fight. All right, we're on your side. Jordan Person from Denver Normal. Check them out, denvernormal.org. We appreciate everything you're doing and have yourself a lot of success. What's your uh, signature deadline, by the way? Um, it's 180 days after the passing of the language. All right. You got six months for 10,000 signatures with 100 volunteers. I think you can easily pull it off. Thanks, Jordan. Good luck to you in the future. 
Thanks, Russ. Have a great day. You too. All right. That's all the time we got for our Hour 1. But stay tuned for Hour 2. Toker Talk Radio. Phone lines are open at 971-533-7111. I got news about Elizabeth Warren. We got an update on the Travis Maurer situation. My radical rant. Don't give me no mo crap. Also, studies on weed users and verbal memory. And statistics on weed use. For everyone here at Roller J, I'm Radical Russ. Until next time, take care of each other, tokers. This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down smooth. It's time for Toker Talk Radio, the voice of the marijuana nation. What are you people? On dope? Or you can tope. I am here. Uh, or you can talk. I experimented with marijuana and didn't inhale. Or you can toke and talk. Ten federal criminal penalties for possession of up to one ounce of marijuana. While we talk about toke on Toker Talk Radio. So by the way, when it comes to pot, you know, if you're 40 years old, you live in a log cabin in Oregon, you got 12 giant pot plants in your backyard, have a ball. Live from beautiful Poplin, Oregon at Rolla J Studios. Plus your calls live at 971-533-7111. They're walking on their pants with their cap on backwards, listening to the animal man, the Snoopy Snoopy poop dog. What's to keep somebody from getting all potted up on weed and then getting behind the wheel? Gateway theory doesn't work. It's a reality. Holland, is it real? Locking up people that take a couple of puffs of marijuana, and and the, the next thing you know, they got ten years. And now, here's your host, the guru of ganja graphics, the sultan of sativa statistics, and the worst nightmare of a reefer mad prohibitionist. A polite, perspicacious, productive pothead with a propensity for PowerPoint. Radical Russ Belleville. Welcome back, everybody. Four o'clock in the Pacific Time Zone. Time for Toker Talk Radio. Got ourselves a great show coming up. Radical Rant a little bit later on this hour. And um, we're talking about the Missouri efforts of the Stoners Against Legalization. But first, I want to talk a little politics. I have this amazing letter written by a woman that I hope is America's first female president. It's a letter to Dr. Thomas Frieden of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention in Atlanta. It's the head of the CDC. It begins, Dear Dr. Frieden, as you know, our country is faced with an opioid epidemic that only continues to grow at an alarming pace. Continues to talk about a 65% increase in her state. 
She continues, prescription painkillers are at the center of this epidemic. According to the National Institutes on Drug Abuse, or NIDA, the U.S. remains the largest consumer in the world. Despite accounting for only 5% of the global population, Americans consume 75% of prescription opioid medications in the world. You got that? 5% of the population, 25% of the world's prisoners, 75% of the world's opioid use. In 2013, the U.S. Senators, Centers, I keep saying that, the U.S. Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services reported that more hydrocodone acetaminophen, or Vicodin, was prescribed to Medicare beneficiaries than any other drug. She continues to applaud the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, or CDC, for the actions it has taken to study the epidemiology of this public health crisis, support the ongoing work conducted in states, and provide guidelines to prescribers on the use of painkillers for chronic pain treatment. She continues by asking the CDC to explore to explore every opportunity and tool available to work with states and federal agencies on the ways to tackle the opioid epidemic and find information about alternative pain relief options, including the use, uptake, and effectiveness of medical marijuana as an alternative to opioids for pain treatment in states where it's legal, the impact of the legalization of medical and recreational marijuana on opioid overdose deaths. That's two of her five points. We already have some of the science on this. We know that fewer people commit suicide, fewer people get addicted to opiates in places where there's access to medical marijuana. That is signed, my hope for first female president of the United States, Senator Elizabeth Warren. That's right, Senator Elizabeth Warren. What? You thought, uh, yeah. You thought Hillary Clinton was writing a letter like that? Are you kidding me? <laughs> no, no, not going to happen. And uh, in other Democratic news, you know, uh, Bernie Sanders crushed Hillary Clinton yesterday 60% to 38% in the uh, New Hampshire primary, a 22% landslide victory. For Bernie Sanders. So that means from the state of New Hampshire, Bernie will get 13 delegates and Hillary will get 15. What? Yeah, that's right. In the Democratic primary, if you win by a three to two margin, you get two fewer delegates than the loser. That's because of superdelegates, ladies and gentlemen, the party insiders and political hacks who get to vote any way they want, regardless of how the states and the people actually vote. If there were any better argument for the 1%'s control of the political process, Hillary Clinton, the superdelegates, are making it for them. We're back right after this. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Gather with fellow cannabis companies past the Golden Gate to San Francisco and the 2016 International Cannabis Business Conference, February 13th and 14th at the fabulous Hyatt Regency. Register now at internationalcbc.com. Learn from leading industry luminaries like cannabis celebrity legend Tommy Chong, former Surgeon General Dr. Joycelyn Elders, best-selling author Andrew Sullivan, and so many more. 
plus exhibitors, expert panels, and education made to calibrate your new or existing cannabis plan. Catch CannabisRadio.com and the Russ Belville Show at the 2016 International Cannabis Business Conference and register at InternationalCBC.com now. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. Cannabis Confidential with Dr. Dina. Candid. I want to give you the inside story. Captivating. I want to introduce you to my kind and amazingly talented friends. Compelling. We get to meet some of the most amazing cannabis activists and warriors around. Listen in as medical marijuana pioneer Dr. Dina shares never-before-heard stories, chats with cannabis insiders and celebrity friends, and provides invaluable perspective and insight into one of the fastest-growing industries in the world. I want to share with you what was once confidential information. Let's expose the truth, discuss the issues, and learn the facts. Cannabis Confidential, only on CannabisRadio.com. Russ Belville Show is proudly sponsored by the Marijuana Business Association. The MJBA, called by NBC News the Cannabis Chamber of Commerce, is the fastest growing business association in the fastest growing industry in America. I've been working with the MJBA for years and I personally invite you to join the MJBA. MJBA also publishes the popular MJ Headline News on Facebook and the MJNewsNetwork.com and Marijuana Channel One on YouTube. Visit MJBA.net for more details. a package here for Radical Rick. Is there a Radical Rick here? How about a Rick Russ? Any any Rick Russ? Somebody named Freddie Barack has sent him a package. Anybody? What is that? Sounds like a scum. You're tuned into the Russ Belleville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation, only on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back, everybody. Nine after the hour, and uh, I got to weigh in. On these latest revolutions, revelations, rented lips, these latest revelations from the uh, blog called StuffStonersLike.com. They just filed this today, tagged me on it so I would see it. The story is entitled, Activist Travis Maurer Countersues the Weed Blog. So let me get you caught up. First, here in Portland, Oregon, you got to understand that we lost our legalization in 2012. Paul Stanford, the head of the Hemp and Cannabis Foundation, tried to get a true legalization type initiative passed in 2012. The same time Washington and Colorado were passing, uh, you know, tax and regulate. And our true legalization failed. And when that failed, Rob Campia from the Marijuana Policy Project sent a note out to us marijuana activists and said, Whatever you do, don't go for 2014. If you go for 2014, you're going to lose, and we're not going to back you, and we'll never back you. Basically an extortion threat to tell us, you know, don't go forward with 2014. But Travis Maurer was convinced that we could do 2014, as was I. As was I at the time. In fact, there's a video online, uh, MP, or uh, uh, yeah, well, uh, on YouTube, where uh, you'll find me questioning Steve Fox at the time with MPP, who came to Oregon in January 2013 to make that same case. And I questioned, you know, shouldn't we strike while the iron is hot? There's no guarantee that something shitty doesn't come out of Colorado or Washington. 
and ruin our chances in 2016 to be able to pass anything. We've got momentum. We should move with this, right? And our side won, uh, our rhetorical side won, and Travis had a lot to do with that. Travis got the polling and, and some numbers and some finances together that convinced Drug Policy Alliance and others to band behind a 2014 shot in Oregon, which, as we now know, passed with the greatest measure of statewide legalization ever, 56.1%. So Travis gets all these write-ups in Newsweek and in the Oregonian and gets hailed as this mastermind behind Oregon legalization. Meanwhile, my friend, my pal, uh, Randy Quast, who's been a longtime supporter of my work as uh, a journalist and as a blogger and podcaster, has supported my radio networks as Travis has in the past too, but nowhere near to the uh, extent Randy has, uh, Randy Quast, who founded Minnesota Normal and is a trucking company millionaire, moves out from Minnesota to Portland. And he gets in, you know, he partially because he knows me out here. And so my friend moves out here and wants to get involved in Oregon and, you know, live where it's legal. So we formed Portland Normal, of which I'm no longer the executive director. I resigned a, a, a week ago. But uh, we formed Portland Normal together, and we he poured a bunch of money into Portland Normal. Meanwhile, he also got to meet Travis through me, okay? And he and Travis began putting together some sort of business together so that they could build a dispensary and a grow site and, and, and fund, you know, legalization efforts and that kind of stuff, right? So Randy pumped in upwards of $700,000 into this dispensary growth site scheme of Travis Mowers. Now, meanwhile, Travis is also getting his hands on part of the weed blog. Now, the weed blog is one of the highest trafficked blogs in marijuana, right? Gets a million unique hits or more a month. Tremendous traffic, often beats normal, often beats high times, right? Tremendous traffic. And it is the brainchild of two guys, Jeff and Chris. Uh, literally, they got names like a, a, a pair of Mormon missionaries, Jeff Young and Chris White. <laughs> it could literally be <laughs> the Mormon missionaries. They're not, as far as I'm aware. But uh, anyway, these two guys, young guys, one's a tech SEO Google search genius. One of them nerdy guys that can just tweak a website and make it shoot to the top of Google. And the other, Johnny, he goes by Johnny Green online, Chris. The other is a dedicated activist type who works a full-time job like I did for years and years, works a full-time job, and then on his off time, writes for the blog and coordinates for the blog, like I did for years and years. So these two guys literally build the weed blog on a computer in their dorm room type of situation apartment or whatever it is, and build it to be one of the most trafficked websites on earth for marijuana. So Travis buys his way into that because these guys, like me, aren't businessmen. We do this out of love, right? I'm technically homeless right now. And we do this out of love, and we're just struggling, and every month is a, just a struggle to even pay the rent. Nothing fancy going on, right? These two guys built this thing out of their intelligence, talent, and sweat 
Travis gets involved because they're desperate and they need money. So he finds a way to get some money to these guys to buy his way into this weed blog because he sees, hey, a million hits. There's my media platform. So Travis gets involved with weed blog. And meanwhile, he's running this multi hundred thousand dollar dispensary deal with uh, 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 Randy. Okay. And his wife, Leah Maurer is ingratiating herself and becoming one of the co-founders and top people in the local Portland Women's Grow chapter, which boasts of being the largest and fastest growing Women's Grow chapter. So where this starts to fall apart is that Randy, last month, filed a lawsuit against Travis for fraud because there is no grow site. After pumping over $700,000 into this, there is no grow site. And he alleges that Travis had actually sent pictures of some other grow site claiming it was their grow site to keep him stalled. And alleges that a whole bunch of money was taken here and there to pay for all sorts of things like polling for New Approach Missouri, like uh, uh, pers- paying off personal debts and personal bills. And it could be alleged and maybe is alleged in the suit, I'll have to reread it, that some of that money is how he got his fingers on the weed blog. In fact, that is in the suit, I remember, because Randy is suing to get possession of the weed blog or Travis's stake in the weed blog because the way Travis was able to buy his way into the weed blog was using Randy's money to buy it. So, Tra- uh, Randy is suing Travis. Now, in, in addition to the fraud thing that he's suing over, he's also suing because Travis has apparently been going around and spreading the rumor that Randy got all friendly with Travis and Leah and their kids as a family and would attend kid functions and soccer functions, and that Randy has turned out to be a pedophile. That's right. Travis is accusing Randy of being a pedophile and actually did so in an email to Chris and Jeff of the Weed Block. I can personally tell you that Travis personally spoke to me and made the same sort of accusations that Randy was a falling down drunk who had a thing for little kids. So that's what he's saying about my friend, a guy who has been nothing but a mensch to everybody in the movement and donated tens and hundreds of thousands of dollars to normal, to activists, to forming Minnesota normal, to forming Portland normal, saying that guy is a falling down drunk pedophile. And the weed blog sued uh, Travis because they say he took money out of the weed blog accounts and didn't pay this and didn't file the business license with the secretary of state and let advertising revenue lapse. And I can testify that indeed the advertising revenue for the weed blog, which should have been through the roof when you're getting a million uniques a month was shit while Travis was running the advertising sales. As soon as Coleco, my former intern started running the advertising sales, he started pulling in like hundred thousand dollars worth of advertising. So of course he was promptly booted off by Travis. So now the news from the stuff stoners like is that Travis is suing the guys of the weed blog saying they were taking all this money out of the weed blog accounts, thousands and thousands of dollars per month. Now knowing Jeff and Chris And knowing how paycheck to paycheck and scraping by they are living, I would have to ask where those thousands of dollars went 
as compared to Travis, who is flying all over the country back and forth to talk to all of these high-profile people in the movement, compared to Leah, who has managed to get Women Grow to be this huge organization in Portland with these incredibly lavish events. It stinks to high hell, and I'm calling it the Oregon travesty. It's a travesty what's going on here. And in every picture you get, right here on this one as well, every picture you see, you'll see the logos of Women Grow and the T-shirts of the Drug Policy Alliance. And I call on those two organizations, DPA and Women Grow, to take a serious look at these two people to see who you've gotten in bed with here. Ethan Nadelman, you know me personally. We've talked personally. And I encourage you as someone who admires you, as someone who respects you, who thinks you're one of the greatest people we've got on our side, to take a serious look at this Travis Maurer fella and, and uncover what's going on. Now, let's let it go to court. Let's let, let's let this go to trial and figure out what's going on. But to me, when there's this much smoke, there's a lot of fire. And that's not even counting the third lawsuit from another guy who claims he loaned Travis a bunch of money and Travis stopped repaying those loans. It stinks. I smelled some marijuana smoke in Vietnam. <laughs> yeah, um, this is definitely getting nasty, and I won't be surprised if I get uh, if I get summoned on some of this stuff. If I end up testifying at some sort of trial. Happy 420, everybody, from the Pacific Time Zone. We're right back with a radical rant after this. Dr. Dabber, hurry. Its temperature is shooting past 1,000 degrees Fahrenheit. It's burning up. I'm afraid for this little guy, it's just too late. What caused the problem? Only Dr. Dabber can maintain the perfect temperature for a smooth-tasting, slower burn. This standard vaporizer lost all of its health benefits, sending it up in smoke. So you're telling me that most vapor pens burn so hot they produce smoke, not vapor? Correct. Keep away from those standard vaporizer pens and turn to Dr. Dabber, doctor's orders. Less heat, <laughs> more flavor. This is the Russ Belleville Show, annoying Kevin Sabat since 2012. first 2015 adult marijuana prohibition came to an end in Oregon immediately over 400,000 adults who consume cannabis responsibly were no longer criminals this is what freedom sounds like brought to you by Portland Oil. The Fingerboard Extension has fretted instruments to enhance your creativity. It has new and used guitars and banjos from beginning to high class. The Fingerboard Extension has National Resophonic, Hassan Dalton, Larravee, Heritage and Recording King guitars, and Mike Ramsey, Wildwood, Gold Tone, and Recording King banjos. 
The Fingerboard Extension also has drum stuff, used gear, and parts. Stop by The Fingerboard Extension, downtown Corvallis, Oregon, at 120 Northwest 2nd, or check out the inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com and reverb.com. must wage what I have called total war against public enemy number one. I support a change in law to end federal criminal penalties for possession of up to one ounce of marijuana. That marijuana, pot, grass, whatever you want to call it, is probably the most dangerous drug. Some think there won't be room for them in jail. We'll make room. I experimented with marijuana a time or two, and I didn't like it and didn't inhale. And one major responsibility is to encourage people to use less drugs. Entirely legitimate topic uh, for debate. Radical rant. Don't give me no mo crap. Today's rant is about mo crap. That is the Missouri Cannabis Restoration and Protection Act. Yep, we got legalizers out there who didn't think ahead that Missouri Cannabis Restoration and Protection spells mo-crap. That's the level of political acumen we're dealing with. Now, I've talked about these mo-crap true legalizers before, and we'll get to some of that. But I want to remind you about the other story out of Missouri that garnered national attention. And it was the story of Jeff Mazansky. Jeff Mazansky was serving a life sentence for pot. He'd gotten three strikes for pot dealing. And under a three strikes law that had since been repealed, he was imprisoned in Missouri for life. And a campaign arose around Jeff Mazansky. And to be fair, Travis Maurer had something to do with it. But a campaign arose around Jeff Mazansky and his case that led to petitions and signatures and national coverage and finally the exoneration, well, not the exoneration, but the uh, commutation, I guess it was, of Jeff Mazansky's remaining sentence by the governor of Missouri, Jay Nixon, and now Jeff Mazansky's a free man. Since then, Jeff's been on the circuit, on the, you know, the uh, cannabis circuit, doing the various expos and shows. I've had the pleasure of interviewing him at one of these shows, and he's a very nice, soft-spoken man who's, whose gentleness and kindness belies what he must have gone through 22 years in prison. You'd think he'd be bitter and angry, but no, he seems to be the nicest guy. So this Jeff Mazansky posts on his Facebook today a picture of a cell with the steel toilet and steel sink and the you know plastic bed, concrete walls. And the caption reads, if you didn't wake up to this, it's a good day. And of course, what a what a what a thing for this guy to say, what a sentiment to come up with, you know, having spent 22 years in prison. So that's where this gets weird, because as this continues, a fellow by the name of Derek Burns jumps into the Facebook post. And I was alerted to this Facebook post by uh, Trickster Phillips, one of our longtime listeners in Missouri. And that uh, Derek Burns apparently is behind or, or is associated with or is supporting, I don't know his exact relationship, the MOCRAP Act, the Missouri Cannabis Restoration and Protection Act, MOCRAP. 
Now, right now in Missouri, there's new approach Missouri. Dan Veets, longtime head of Missouri Normal, a very sensible professional group that's putting together a medical marijuana initiative. Because in their estimation, Missouri is just not going to pass legalization yet, but they would pass medical. So they want to move forward with medical. And Derek and the people with the MoCrap Act instead believe, no, that's bullshit. We can't just pass medical. That's not true legalization. People will still go to prison. We need to pass the MoCrap Act. So Derek jumps into this and attacks Jeff Mazansky, saying, quote, Jeff, isn't there an initiative out there that could help people who have been unjustly incarcerated due to a cannabis-related charge? Yes, there is. It is the MCRPA 2016-13. Jeff, you say if we stick together, we can end this. Well, I ask you, when the MCRPA initiative is being circulated, why aren't you helping? If you're working every day to get them out, then why wouldn't you back an initiative that would save lives and free the prisoners you're talking about? Question mark, 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 question mark. And it gets worse. He goes on to say things. It's a shame that there are people who claim to help. But when we look around, they're standing on the sidelines of the organization, standing on the sidelines of the organization that wants to lock more people up. Now, that would be a swipe at New Approach Missouri that somehow by passing medical marijuana, they want to lock more people up. Okay. Now, to his credit, Jeff Mazansky says in reply. You know, I say it one more time. I hope you the be- hope you the best, and I pray both petitions get on the ballot so the people of Missouri can choose. I'll choose my path and back medical. I've heard too many people tell me they would not vote for your initiative. I'm working on giving them a choice. I will say it again. Good luck. I'm not against your initiative. I am working on other paths to get our nonviolent prisoners out, not just cannabis, but all, and to keep them out. Remember, I lived it and talked to prisoners all the time. They are behind what I'm doing. Sorry, you're not. I'm looking at the bigger picture. By the way, if your initiative is so good, like you say it is, what are you worried about? You don't need me. It should stand on its own. So please stop worrying about what I am doing, and I am doing what I believe is right. And it continues. Derek just responds, you're hiding behind fictitious polls and lies. Missourians are seeing you for who you are, a criminal. That's it. You should still be locked up. And that's where I had to just jump in on this because it continues and continues. And I had to respond to Derek Burns with the following. All you need to do to convince me to support your amendment or your initiative is to answer me these questions three. How much money have you raised? How many signatures do you have? How well does your language poll? Derek, you're taking this all very personally, lobbing accusations and hurling insults at individuals who, believe it or not, share your goals. They just differ with your strategy. The simple fact is that changing the law takes money, signatures, and votes. The simple history is that the path to legalization begins with cities that do lowest law enforcement priority, then maybe a site and release, then maybe a decrim initiative. And that builds popular support for enacting maybe a decrim initiative, then medical marijuana, and then legalization at the state level. 
It's not rocket science. It's the path of every state that has passed any laws leading toward medical or recreational use. Now, with some exceptions. I mean, you might skip site and release and jump straight to decrim, or you might skip decrim and jump right to medical. But what has never happened is for an absolute prohibition state to jump straight to a full-on no age limits, no possession limits, no cultivation limits, legalizing stoned driving initiative like MoCrap proposes. I get your frustration, Derek. You know the truth about cannabis. You know that it should be nearly as free as tomatoes. I mean, we should still keep it from kids. And you know that the taxes and regulations should be far less onerous than those for alcohol. You know that all the pot prisoners like Jeff Mazansky should be freed immediately. If you and me and most of the people listening to me right now were the only voters in Missouri, we'd pass mo-crap like shit through a goose. But Derek... You still live in a state with 6 million other people. Of the 6 million people in the state of Missouri, 21% of them aged 18 to 25 smoke pot monthly. And just 6% of those older than that smoke pot monthly. So even if we suppose that all the pot smokers in Missouri would support the MoCrap Act, and if we assume that 100% of them are registered voters and we pretend that 100% of them would show up to vote, you might get 400,000 votes. But Missouri only had a 64% turnout in the last presidential election and a total of 2.7 million votes cast. So even if you get your 100% stoner turnout, and again, Dreaming that stoned 18 to 25 year olds will break historical precedent and actually vote. And if the non stoner turnout stayed around two thirds, that means from the stoner vote, you would get about 15% of the 50% you needed to win. That's your max. 15% is the ultimate improbable pigs are flying. Monkeys are flying out of my butt scenario where every single stoner in Missouri shows up and votes in favor of MoCrap. 15%, that's your top. That's your ceiling. It's going to be a lot less than that. But let's keep pretending that you get that 15%. So that means in this wildly improbable every stoner shows up to vote scenario, you need to convince another 35% or about another 1 million voters who don't smoke pot to support MoCrap. Now, keep in mind, in Missouri, about 42% of Missouri votes Republican. That means we can't get to the 50% without nearly every Democrat voting for MoCrap and maybe pulling in a few Republicans too. So, in other words, impossible. You are proposing no age limits, no cultivation limits, no possession limits, and the legalization of stoned driving. I'm not making that up, folks. Read their initiative. It actually says that it will be legal 
there will be no punishments involved with the use of marijuana and driving. We couldn't pass that in Oregon. We tried our 2012 initiative with Paul Stanford and the Okta that had unlimited possession, unlimited cultivation, so long it was just personal, and a 21 age limit, and it failed. It got 46% of the vote. And that was somewhat of a miracle. In Oregon, you think you're going to pass that in Missouri? I've been to Missouri. Now, if that were all, if that were it, if if only you were just being another true legalizer dedicated to your perfect vision of legalization and wasting your time and the time of the people you managed to fool into joining you, then that's one thing. I might not be so harsh. I might not call you out personally, Derek Burns. But now, in your effort to pull off your quixotic strategy for perfect legalization, you've decided to go with the public relations strategy of calling Missouri's most high-profile case of unjust marijuana prosecution a hypocrite who should go back to jail. Some of those million voters you need could have been moved by the injustice in Jeff's case, but you want to toss this golden goose of positive public relations on the same heap as the cops, rehabs, drug testers, prison guards, and big pharma that want to see any marijuana reform fail. I can't speak for Jeff, but if I had lost decades of my life behind bars... I'd find my remaining Gondrepreneur.com, your guide Sorry about to the that. cannabis business Damn it. I can't speak for Jeff, but if I'd lost decades of my life behind bars, I'd find my remaining time as a free man so precious that I couldn't waste a second of it on fruitless efforts to perfectly legalize marijuana when a well-funded, well-polled, likely-to-pass marijuana initiative is on the table and ready to go. So Derek Burns, think twice about who you're insulting online. You need all the help you can get, my friend. And I'll offer you a free platform to get it. My studio line is always open every weekday, 6 p.m. Central Time at 971-533-7111. All right, we're back wind up a few more stories some science on weed users and memory and how many of us are actually smoking pot when we return this is the Russ Belleville show on CannabisRadio.com Gondrepreneur.com, your guide to the cannabis business world. Gondrepreneur.com is a comprehensive resource for cannabis professionals and entrepreneurs. Download the Gondrepreneur app on your smartphone or tablet to catch up on cannabis industry news, scroll through our daily job listings, and learn about successful cannabis companies, executives, and investors. Gondrepreneur.com, helping Gondrepreneurs grow. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. 
from high atop Mount Soldad in San Diego, California, 100 feet above sea level. Good morning. It's good news with cannabis nurse Heather. This plant is amazing. Positive change is happening. We did it. No matter who you are, you can make a positive impact on the world. I would rather be illegally alive than legally dead. And that quote helped to give you strength. Nurse Heather is only on CannabisRadio.com. Good morning, Cannabis Nurse Heather. Imagine life without taxes. Let New Era Certified Public Accountants, NewEraCPAs.com, handle your cannabis 280E and tax strategy. Get your business prepared with New Era CPA's Cannabis Finance Boot Camp. NewEraCPAs.com, with years of experience in the industry, we are one of the nation's leading accounting firms for growers, dispensaries, and ancillary companies from Washington to California. NewEraCPAs.com. Pod 2.0. It's not your father's Woodstock weed. This is the Rush Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back, everybody. Closing in on 40 after the hour. Got an interesting story here that is being reported across a lot of media outlets today. And it's this report on verbal memory among middle-aged pot smokers, which uh, caught my attention, being that A, I'm middle-aged, and B, I talk all day. The uh, CNN headline says, Weed users found to have poor verbal memory in middle age. And I tell you, when I read headlines this like this, it makes me so, so, uh, what's the word? Angry. Yes, that's the word. <laughs> that we have poor verbal memory. Uh, the, the lead paragraph, people who smoked weed regularly as teenagers remember fewer words as they entered middle age, according to a new study published online by the Journal of American Medical Association Internal Medicine. Well, that doesn't really uh, affect me much as I didn't smoke pot till I was 22. So I didn't smoke weed regularly as a teenager. So maybe I'm outside the target on this. For the study, the researchers randomly selected more than 5,000 young adults from ages 18 to 30 and followed up with them at varying points over 25 years from 1985 to like 2011, something like that. At the end of the 25 years, there were more than 3,400 participants still in the study. Their cognitive function was measured using standardized tests of verbal memory, processing speed, and executive function. They found current marijuana use was associated with poor verbal memory and processing speed. And lifetime exposure to marijuana was associated with worse performance in all three areas of cognitive function. Although past exposure to marijuana was associated with worse verbal memory, it does not appear to have affected other domains of cognitive function. So, you know me, I looked shit up. So I had to look up the actual study and they did a good job uh, adjusting for confounding factors. Uh, They adjusted for demographics, cardiovascular risk, tobacco smoking, alcohol, illicit drugs, physical activity, depression, and other tests to kind of weed out, if you'll pardon the pun, all the other factors that could cause this lesser verbal memory. And what they found uh, reading this, they said for each five years of past exposure, verbal memory was 0.13 standardized units lower, corresponding to a mean of one or two participants remembering one word fewer 
from a list of 15 words for every five years of use. Like what? All right, let me let me break this down how this works. Okay. So they have this test that they give you to test your verbal memory. And the idea is you're going to be read a series of 15 random words. And then after those words are read to you, you're going to try to remember how many of those 15 random words you can possibly remember. Okay? Let's try it. Okay? Here we go. Apple. Carburetor. Dyslexic. Red. Youth. Babylon. Karate. Dig. Opulent. Werewolf. Spaghetti. Purpose. Half. Tugboat. Yakima. And then, okay, so now you've got your 15 words. Now you've got to remember them. You've got to say them back. So what were the words? Go ahead. Right? You're probably thinking apple, carburetor, and maybe you get some of them. Maybe you get a bunch of them. Maybe you get all of them. It, it, it depends on how good your memory is, right? So that's the test they give these guys when they first find them, right? And they keep giving this test to them. Not the same words, obviously. They mix up different random words every time. But they do this test over and over and over again. They find for every five years you smoke pot, your ability to remember those words drops by one. And this only happened, by the way, to half of the participants. A mean of one of two participants remembering one word fewer from a list of 15 words after every five years of use. So we got a 50-50 chance after you smoke pot for five years that you're going to remember one fewer word on a list of 15 random words. Okay, so... I've been smoking pot for 25 years. So if you read that list of words to me, there's a chance that if I used to be able to get all 15 of them, now I can only get 10. Oh, no. Whatever shall I do? See, here's why I've got my distrust of these kind of tests as some sort of sign of cognitive fitness. First of all, I don't want to be the guy who says marijuana is harmless and smoking all the time never affects you. I think it does. I think personally, in my own anecdotal experience, my lifetime, adult lifetime smoking of marijuana has had an effect on me. My immediate short-term memory is not very good. Like if I'm on the computer, right, and I'm looking at one website to call in for a food order and there's the phone number on it and it's 971-605-6752 and I'll flip to the other screen, I'll 971-60, what was the last one? And I'll flip back, right, where I think most people would probably just remember the number. That's that's tougher for me, yeah. And there's times when I'm doing rants and I'm talking when, like I have a, an enormous vocabulary. I'm just... <laughs> It sounds braggart, but it's true. I have a very large vocabulary. I'm a voracious reader, and I know a lot of words, right? But there are times when my online thesaurus in my brain kind of goes offline, especially around if I've been smoking a lot of pot, where I just can't get the perfect word I'm looking for sometimes. And that could be due to marijuana. Absolutely. I will grant that possibility. 
The reason I do, folks, is because I worry about our side getting too attached to certain arguments for marijuana legalization that ignore the central point of why marijuana should be legalized, which is there is no authority or reason to lock people up for their personal use of a plant on themselves. It's morally wrong. It's against human rights to try to dictate what a person does with their own body. That's the sole base fundamental argument as to why prohibition needs to be overturned. But increasingly, our arguments have been, well, taxes, we can make all this tax revenue, we can make all this money, and the taxes are all coming in for the schools, and we got money coming in. And I worry about that argument because the more marijuana gets legalized, the cheaper it's going to get. And the cheaper it gets, the lower the tax revenues get which then incentivizes the government to place artificial price supports to keep that price high in order to reap the taxes that they've been used to. And that only can, of course, exacerbate a black market, et cetera, et cetera. So we run the risk with the tax argument of that argument becoming less and less powerful as weed becomes more and more cheap. And then this other one, the other thing I worry about is when we, we sell marijuana as this great medical thing that has no side effects whatsoever that can never harm anybody. And, and, and we're going to get caught with that because here's a study. And again, I'll talk with Dr. Mitch about this study, but let's suppose that this study is accurate. And this study is telling us that there is a long-term mental harm from continued marijuana smoking. The proper answer is so fucking what? See, if we base our argument on marijuana ought to be legal because it's so much safer than alcohol and it never hurts anybody, the minute we start to be able to prove dangers from it and we see people being harmed from it, it undermines that argument. It undermines that support. You guys said it was harmless. You guys said it wouldn't do nothing. My argument is it doesn't matter if marijuana means I can't remember 10 words off a 15 word list. It doesn't matter. I have the right to drink myself blind. And we know from numerous studies what deleterious effects continued constant alcohol abuse has on someone's brain. Yet we have an amendment in our constitution that specifically references intoxication. Got the word toxic right in the middle of it. We are allowed to poison our brains. It's in our constitution. So if we've got this right to poison our brains with alcohol, then you certainly can't justify locking me up for marijuana on the fact that I can't remember a certain number of words on a verbal test. Now, you also have to consider how many people need this super verbal memory anyway. Like, if you're an actor on Broadway, this may be of concern to you. You need to remember a whole script full of lines. If you are a public debater or a politician who has to think on their feet and speak extemporaneously, like a talk show host perhaps, maybe this is of concern to you because you need that rapid verbal memory. If you're a translator at the United Nations and you've got to hear a language coming into your head 
remember what that guy said, be able to speak it in a different language at the same time while you're still hearing other stuff coming in. Maybe pot smoking's not for you. But if you're a guy who's stocking shelves at the Shopco, <laughs> is this going to be a real problem for you? Right? Is this going to be a big issue? I know in my life, I mitigate these problems. I always have a Sharpie marker on me. Pretty much always. You stop me somewhere and say, Rush, can I borrow your Sharpie? (laughs) There's a good chance I've got a Sharpie on me. And the reason why is because I forget shit. I I, I do. I'll admit that I've got that memory issue. So I write shit down. (laughs) And a Sharpie can write on almost anything. So there we go. I've mitigated the problem. I have this lighter leash that keeps my lighter. Because I tend to put it down and forget it or hand it to someone and forget it. So it's not a question of whether or not marijuana is going to have these effects on cognition. Maybe it does. I really think it's overblown. I think they're desperately trying to find something terrible about marijuana that when these studies come out, I think most people go, yeah, really? People who smoke pot all the time have trouble remembering shit? Really? Well, thanks, Sherlock. (laughs) Is, Is this really a concern? But let's not get ourselves into the trap of our opponents who want us to be claiming that it's harmless. Nothing is harmless. Nothing is harmless. Keep that in mind. Now, safer than alcohol? Oh, yeah. Yeah, like I said, tons of studies will show you what continuous alcohol drinking will do. And shame on CNN, by the way, in this story, at the end of it, they make reference to the New Zealand study that said that there was a decline in IQ scores, you know, that eight point drop in IQ. Because since then, we've had a ton of studies that come out and say, no, that's all explainable by socioeconomic factors. Has nothing to do with whether or not they smoked pot. But they're desperate. They They are so desperate to find some terrible, terrible consequence of marijuana use that nobody has ever seen before in the in the 7,000 years of use to try to forestall this tide of legalization that's washing over this country and and the entire world and it just ain't gonna work all right stay tuned we'll come back with uh, some news on mexico and also remember we got stoner jesus coming up at the top of the hour get yourself blessed by the stony spirit right back after this This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. The next generation of vaporizers has arrived. Vuber vaporizers are blazing the way with unparalleled technology for oil, concentrate, or dry flower pens. Providing unsurpassed customer service and expert craftsmanship, Vuber Vaporizers use cutting-edge technology, providing a power-packed, smoother vapor with a lifetime guarantee. Experience vaporizing the way it was meant to be, the Vuber way. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. <laughs> what the hell are we paying you for? Are you stupid? Okay. Maybe you're high, too. Hey, this is Willie Nelson, or Norman. And I smoke pot, and I like it a lot. 
I learned a long time ago that marijuana is a lot safer than alcohol. There's nothing wrong with the responsible use of marijuana by adults. It's time we stopped arresting and started respecting those who smoke marijuana responsibly. To learn what you can do to help, contact Normal at NORML.org or call toll-free 888-67-NORMAL. Russ Belville Show is proudly sponsored by the Marijuana Business Association. The MJBA, called by NBC News the Cannabis Chamber of Commerce, is the fastest-growing business association in the fastest-growing industry in America. I've been working with the MJBA for years, and I personally invite you to join the MJBA. MJBA also publishes the popular MJ Headline News on Facebook and the MJNewsNetwork.com and Marijuana Channel 1 on YouTube. Visit MJBA.net for more details. It's not your father's Woodstock weed. (laughs) This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back, everybody. 55 and a half after the hour. We've got a couple of minutes left here before we turn the reins over to Stoner Jesus. And before we go, just a couple of quick updates. This first update on uh, a story that we reported earlier, how there was some... uh, Shock and alarm. This new report that came out and said from 2002 to 2013, marijuana use doubled in America, as well as marijuana addiction. Well, the new study out says, and eh, not so much. Yeah, the new studies out in the Journal of the American Medical Association Psychiatry says that marijuana use may not be rising as quickly as thought. More people may simply be willing to admit to it, according to this new research. Man, it's almost like people are listening to the Russ Belville show. How many times have I said that? You can't trust any statistic about marijuana use under prohibition because of the confounding factor of, I don't want to talk about breaking state and federal laws to a pollster. So hell yeah, more people are admitting to smoking marijuana. It hasn't doubled. Those people were already out there smoking marijuana. They were just lying about it. It's also it explains the phenomenon. Oh, my God, there's more emergency room emissions. Oh, my God, there's more parents calling poison control. Yeah, because those parents and those people suffering from a cannabis overdose before they wouldn't call the cops before they wouldn't go to the hospital. If I get caught, if someone knows by it's against the law, I could lose my kids. I could go to jail. And they would just sit it out <laughs> and hope for the best. Ah. So, yeah, they say that marijuana use may have gone up about 20% and that the marijuana use disorders have uh, remained steady. There hasn't been really any more people smoking pot. Maybe maybe 20% more, but not really much problem with it. And in another uh, story, uh, Mexico, they're having all of those town hall meetings about legalizing marijuana. New poll there says that the opposition to marijuana legalization back in August 2013 was 79% against legalization. Now the numbers dropped to 59%. We're winning all across North America. For everyone here at CannabisRadio.com, I'm Radical Russ. Thanks for joining us. And until next time, take care of each other, tokers. This is the Russ Belleville Show. 
The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a scene, you manage, you grow it, you giant, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a scene, you manage, you grow it, you giant, you roll it, you smoke it, it goes down to